Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The following podcast contains explicit language. Tomorrow they will say, Donald Trump rants and raves at the press. I'm not ranting and raving. I'm just telling you, you know, you're dishonest people. And that you call us fake news and, 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 and put us down like children. President Trump, if you're watching, you're the president. You legitimately won the presidency. Now get to work and stop whining about it. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who told 133 lies in his first 34 days in office. Yep, it's Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. I'm sorry, did I say lies? I meant false and misleading claims. Trump has been making them at a rate of just under four per day since he was inaugurated. That's according to an analysis in the Washington Post today. And what were those claims about? Well, the most frequent topic was immigration at 24 and counting. That's stuff like 3 million illegal immigrants voted in the election. Other topics that frequently seem to mislead Donald Trump are his own biographical record at 18 claims and jobs, 17 claims. Biographical record includes such statements as, I've won many environmental awards. It's just that nobody seems to be able to find any of them. And Jobs includes the way Trump takes credit for things he has nothing to do with, such as Ford locating a $2 billion plant to build electric cars in the United States. Here's some other fun stats. Twitter is Trump's number one lying channel, with 34 lies so far, as compared to 18 in press conferences. Actually, they were all in one single press conference. And only a single lie so far on Facebook. One of the things Trump and I have in common is that we're both tweeters and neither of us enjoys Facebook very much. How many lies do you think Trump will be able to tell in his first hundred days? At the overall rate he's been going, he'll come in just under 400. But personally, I think Trump can do better. Trump's two biggest lying days so far have both been in the last week. On February 16th, the day of that press conference, he got in 21 lies. And two days later, in his rally speech in Melbourne, Florida, he got in another 14. He's clearly picking up steam, and he's getting more productive with practice. Call me crazy, but I think Trump could maybe do 500, which leaves a question for the sane and rational among us. How do we deal with Trump's welter of chaos and defeat? How do we distinguish his important lies from his unimportant lies? Because they can't all be equally important, and none of us has time to wade through hundreds of fact checks. More generally, How much time should we devote to Trump? And what about Trump should we devote our attention to? I'll be back to talk to Jeffrey Goldberg of The Atlantic about the need for Trump triage right after we do the tweets. The failing New York Times, NBC News, ABC, CBS, CNN is not my enemy. It is the enemy of the American people. Don't believe the mainstream fake 
news media. The White House is running very well. I inherited a mess, and I'm in the process of fixing it. The so-called angry crowds in home districts of some Republicans are actually, in numerous cases, planned out by liberal activists, said One of the most effective press conferences I've ever seen, says Rush Limbaugh. Many agree, yet fake media calls it differently. Dishonest. Give the public a break. The fake news media is trying to say that large-scale immigration in Sweden is working out just beautifully. Not Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. My guest today is Jeffrey Goldberg, the editor of The Atlantic. Jeff, thanks for joining me. Thank you. Jeff, I've been walking around with this question. I really hope you can help me with it. How do we tell people what about Trump they need to pay attention to versus what they can safely ignore? I mean, I think, you know, we're we're full-time professional journalists. And I feel like, I don't know about you, I feel like I'm drowning because there's so much that seems so important and I can barely keep up with it. I can't keep up with it. And- civilians i mean people who have other things to do for <laughs> people with, people with jobs <laughs> people with lives and jobs yeah. you know want don't want to be spending all their time following trump partly because they don't have the time and partly because it's very toxic and they want us as journalists and you as a magazine editor to help them sort out what's really important from what can we afford to overlook? Right. So, so, so you, you do you do buy the you do buy the idea that we still play a role of filtering and editing and curating, um, and that filters aren't a bad thing because obviously if somebody if a diehard Trump supporter heard you say that he said no 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 what we don't need anymore is magazine editors what we have is freedom and the web right well I guess we presume here we're talking to people who who see some value in our. Role. I hope so, as, but I just I, it's 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 interesting to me because it's just not an assumption that uh, I can make about everyone anymore. That's one of the changes in this period, right? There are people who are getting whatever news they they want through their filter bubble, and you know, via whatever they get on on Facebook, and maybe it's real and maybe it's not. But no, I guess I'm I'm sort of thinking about the listeners of this show right. who are presumably do not include a heavy component. Of Trump supporters, but they're very welcome to listen, and we would like to have more of them, and I would like to understand them better. But no, I'm thinking of people. I'm thinking of people like a lot of people we know who feel overwhelmed right. by the news, but actually feel a sense of responsibility right. to know what's happening. Right. I could start with a very specific issue that actually does plague me, and then maybe we could broaden it out. The very small issue is, uh, or seemingly small issue is, do you pay attention to his tweets? 
right? You probably hear this a lot. Don't pay attention to the tweets. It's just he's just burping on the internet. And what matters is what they do, not what he says. I happen to disagree with that. I, I as someone who has covered other presidents, I believe that every word that comes from a president's mouth is axiomatically newsworthy. And mouth or, or fingers, as a, as a case may be, uh, or somebody's doing the typing for him. I, I think that every utterance, every statement, every speech, every impromptu remark is worthy of note. I, I think the tweets are actually more important than set speeches because the tweets, generally speaking, seem to be uh, coming right from they're very glandular, let's say. They, they, they represent his true resentments, his true concerns, his true feelings. And so uh, we've had this debate discussion at the Atlantic. I'm sure other people have had it. You know, how much do you, how much weight do you give these things in the course of your coverage? And I say give it a lot because this is, this is who he is. On the larger question, you know, obviously the answer from a, from a news person's perspective is, uh, watch the actual policy shifts. I was just thinking about this before. This has been, you know, we go in and out of these kind of regular periods where there's, there's not a huge level of drama in the White House or some crazy sounding tweet or, or some other manifestation of abnormality. And so we begin to feel that some weeks are normal and some weeks are not. But even in the, quote, normal weeks, you could use the EPA as an example or use the transgender bathroom issue as an example. There are big policy decisions being made all the time. And there will be people put in charge of departments who are going to change the nature of the government's work. And so I can't tell people what to listen to and what not to listen to. I think we have to, as citizens, try to absorb it all. And I know that's a pain in the neck to do. But I think it's all there uh, and it's all important. And ultimately, I don't want to sound like I'm contradicting myself, but but what happens in the EPA or what happens in the FDA or what happens in the NSC, certainly, these things matter hugely. Uh, the tweets and the and the and the internal drama inform the way we should think about those things. But ultimately, what's what's important are the policies that are being shaped by his inclinations. But Jeff, let me just push back a little because I think in reality, people are performing triage. They have to as a, as a survival strategy to cope with it. You can't follow all this stuff. You can't follow Betsy DeVos and Milo Yiannopoulos and the EPA and the deportation <laughs> order and the ACA and Russia and the kleptocracy. There's too much. And you're going to, at some level, you are, whether you think you're doing it or not, if you are a citizen, you're going to decide what's important and pay attention to yeah. that portion. And you're going to yeah. tune out a lot of other stuff. So how do you yeah. – what's your way well, of doing that responsibly? Okay. Well, I, I will give you an answer and this this answer betrays my own particular interests, my own professional interests as you will soon see. There are decisions that a president makes regarding the economy that are hugely important to the lives of Americans. There are decisions presidents make regarding the environment that are hugely important, uh, immigration policy, a whole set of very, very important issues. There is a set of life and death issues. These are centered, obviously, in the National Security Council process. These involve the Department of Defense, Department of State, Department of Homeland Security, mainly. And so I, I tend to think that if you're doing that kind of triage that you're talking about, and you're worried about the physical future of the country, you're worried about the chance for accidental war, then 
I recommend to people that they pay attention to the to the to the life and death issues, and that that yeah, I think we've just come through. We're coming through a v- extraordinarily dangerous phase of this young presidency in which there was for a period of time no functioning national security council thank god we didn't have a terrorist attack at home or or a large terrorist attack abroad or another kind of international crisis involving north korea or the south china sea or you name your crises you 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 can make a dozen of them obviously we were very, very lucky that we didn't have that in this last period of tumult related to Michael Flynn and, and, and all the rest because there was no one home. There's literally no one home. That was an extraordinarily dangerous moment. My, my only point is that if the National Economic Council is insufficiently staffed or that even the Treasury Department is insufficiently staffed or dysfunctional in the way it goes about its business, people probably won't die. But if these guys can't get organize a system where they can respond to international crises, violent international crises, then we've got real, real problems. Well, that may be a fallacy on your part. I mean, I think there have been studies that suggest there are thousands of excess deaths as a result of the financial crisis. And certainly, you know, there will be thousands of additional deaths if the uh, ACA is repealed and not replaced. I'm talking, but those are those are those are downstream deaths, and you could intervene at various points in those processes. I'm not de- degrading or deriding this, Jake. I- I'm just saying that that if these guys get the response to a terrorist attack wrong, thousands of people can die tomorrow. But in violent deaths, as opposed, I'm not, and, and I get your point. People who are going to be denied health care because of changes in the way the government delivers insurance or delivers health care itself, a dire issue, obviously. But there are points where you can intervene in the coming weeks, months, and even years where you can mitigate the disaster. I'm talking about immediate disaster. We can go from zero to a full-blown nuclear crisis with North Korea in under 24 hours. And so what I want to know is, are there systems in place, rational systems in place to deal with that? As you know, and I know, even when the government is staffed by sober-minded, rational, trained individuals, even when the processes all work, the nature of these events is to spin out of control. So I just think that, uh, again, it's a, maybe it's a, it's a Sophie's choice here. Uh, I would rather have all systems work. But if I had to choose one system to pay attention to right now, it's a system that governs how we respond to violent international incidents or acts of terrorism. All right, let's talk about a little bit how you're dealing with this as an editor. Um, I went and just checked out Atlantic.com as part of my elaborate homework and preparation for speaking to you, Jeff. <laughs> and um, I was uh, I was very pleasantly surprised that it – It's on the internet yeah, now. It's exactly. easy, Exactly. Right? Well, I could have done yeah. it on mobile, but I like desktop. And yeah. um, it was yeah. not very Trump-heavy. The lead story, the headline on The Atlantic, is seven Earth-sized planets have been spotted close to a nearby star – which I definitely want to read later. In fact, I left it open in one of my browser tabs. And there were, I think, like six other stories in the six in the, the first screen you see. And only two of them even had any relation to Trump at all. And I thought, wow, that is a that is a bold choice. And it's a huge feels like a huge relief. And then I went to Slate for purposes of comparison, and it was like there was only one story that wasn't about Trump. So I wonder, is it is that just the fluke of that hour on the internet and it'll be, you know, back to all Trump all the time by evening? Or are you making a conscious choice as an editor to give people more other stuff and less of the Trump miasma? 
Well, I would say that, A, it was a fluke uh, because uh, – and again, maybe this has to do with the slightly – more quiet nature of this week, the particular week we're talking. I mean, don't get me wrong. Uh, I think life on other planets is a big story. It's just not like Milo Milo Yiannopoulos' book deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we've already had four stories on Milo Yiannopoulos, and I think that's a good number of stories over a period of 24 hours. Uh, I don't need to read (laughs) much more about him. By the way, my... uh, (laughs) <laughs> You'll appreciate this. Uh, this is a story about how some children who are raised in Washington are a bit too Washington. My high school age son says to me this morning, so you guys going to make a play for Milo now that he's a uh, free Breitbart? <laughs> and I said, you're a very raw young man. Um, the uh, No, I think you're experiencing more of a fluke. And actually, if you look at – I mean, you, you don't have access to this data. Obviously, you have access to Slate's data. Our, our traffic is uh, – our audience is interested in our Trump coverage in a way that I haven't seen, where, where it's not just one or two stories in the top five or, or ten, generally speaking. It's 20 or 30 stories down the list. People are still – going for Trump-related news. So you are experiencing a fluke. On the other hand, and this is the hard thing to do, we're a general interest magazine, and A, I don't want to create a feeling that this is the only thing that's happening in the world, and B, as a as part of our mission, we're supposed to talk about science and health and culture and literature, and I have to be very, very careful not to let ourselves slip into just Trump 24 hours a day. But but this this week is a little anomalous, to be honest with you. So, well, I want to defend your non-choice in that case, because I sort of think it's, you know, to some extent, we need to think about the sustainability of our attention and the sort of level of hysteria that Trump's generating is from the consumer point of view is just not, I can't sustain it. I don't know about you. Well, I mean, I, I can because I personally can because I'm interested in a, in a I'm deeply interested in a, in a particular set of issues and I'm interested in the broader, you know, and I also sort of when you, and I think you experience this too, when you sit down for a minute and just let your mind rest and then you realize that, uh, and I'm not making, a, I'm trying not to make a biased point, I'm just trying to make an uh, observation. You realize that Donald Trump is president of the United States. It's a pretty extraordinary fact. And, and we are living in a novel age. And, and so I'm, I guess I'm saying two things that maybe sound contradictory. I think we can't do enough on this story. And I think at the same time, we have to stay committed to covering the entire world. So asking for a friend here, a friend <laughs> who can only feels like they can only f- keep track of three big stories about Trump in the in the coming yeah. months. They're not going to read everything. It's too much. But they want to know what the three most important stories to follow are from for the next little bit. What would you say they are? Well, obviously, let's put um, let's call one basket America and the world. I, I could divide that up into a million different subheads, but let's just for, for purposes of our conversation, just say to me that the story of overriding importance is, is this. Donald Trump is engaged in a improvisational experiment in reshaping America's relationship with the world, a relationship that has been more or less set uh, since the end of World War II. That's an enormous, enormous story. And obviously, this manifests itself in in the way we talk about Russia, on the one hand, the way we talk about the relations with China, with Mexico, with Israel and the Middle East. That's that's one basket. A, a, a second, and I'm not sure I have three for you, but a second issue that I think about all the time 
is the relationship between this administration and science. Most of these concerns or interests that I have are prospective. We're not far enough down the road to understand how they're going to grapple with data they don't like. We've gotten some disturbing intimations of how they're going to do that already, but those are just intimations. And so, uh, and so that's, that's the second. And the third, I guess, if I had to pick just three, I would say keeping a careful eye on the violation of norms. W- watching violations of the law, that's fairly easy because the law is a black and white sort of thing. What I'm interested in, and, and to be honest with you, this is what concerns me the most as uh, as someone who has covered the presidency, who respects the office of the president, and who, who venerates the, the White House as a symbol of American of the American democratic experiment. What I worry about frequently is, uh, you, you know, I, I'm not the first person to make this observation, probably maybe should be the last, but, but we, we're only, we, we've just begun to understand that most of the things that we think are governed by laws are actually just governed by norms. And we've had presidents of both parties who've respected the norms of behavior. And so I'm, I'm referring here a little bit to some of the work that David Frum has done recently, our cover story on how to build an autocracy. He talks about this, you know, sort of the, the insidious corruption, the insidious kind of self-dealing that is not actually governed by law, but, but generally has been prohibited by an adherence to a set of agreed upon norms. I, I, I just would keep I would, telling your friend, <laughs> I, I would keep a careful eye on those things because that is, those things are going to be hard to put back in a box, I think. I mean, I'm so curious about who the next president is going to be because we're going to find out if this was an anomalous period or we're going to find out that we're on a slippery slope to kind of um, the banana republicization of the United States. Um, Jeff, you did a good job with that question. I feel a little, though, like your answer was, uh, we'll only pay attention to A through G, H through P, and Q through Z. You know, you kind of, you got a lot in Well, I was trying Um, hard. But, you know, (laughs) it's very hard. I mean, look, it's it's very hard for me to to tell you three things. Uh, I mean, if you want three things, I watch North Korea. Right. Watch the watch the families, uh, the level of self-dealing in the family and watch how people like Steve Bannon and people who are have an ideologically coherent worldview in the White House. Look at how they deal with data. Look at how they deal with facts. I, I think, look, my list would be pretty similar to yours. I think it was a great list. But then you wake up today and look at look at whatever news source you, you prefer. And he might be deporting everybody. I mean, that wasn't even. Yeah, I didn't even know, deal and, with that. You know, yeah, and he yeah, and he yeah. might be repealing the. You're AG. right. You're right. I'm you know, not, and it's yeah. just it's it's not. I don't think this is. I guess I'm trying to illustrate that even a quick-witted and comprehensive mind like yours can't solve this problem for us because there's not really. Well, thank you for calling me quick-witted and comprehensive. <laughs> By the way, you 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 prompted a one of the many things I've learned from our mutual friend Malcolm Gladwell is the following answer: when you're challenged on an answer in a speech or. or However, I, I noticed and I learned this from Malcolm, what he does sometimes is say, eh, you might be right. <laughs> you might be right. I might be wrong. I don't know. And, and, and it popped to mind as you were saying that, you know, I, I'm probably wrong. But, you know, uh, I, I, I'm trying here. You know, you're trying to do this. It's an interesting exercise. But ultimately, it's, it's futile, I think. You know, this is all wearying and straining. It's all too much. 
what should we watch? Here are three things. Oh, but what about the other nine things that you didn't mention? I mean, this is this is an impossibility. But there may be sanctuary on other planets, seven Earth-sized ones spotted in a nearby galaxy. There's, we have big news. <laughs> big news. Big, big if true. Uh, Jeff, it's, uh, it's great talking to you. Thank you for helping me try to sort through this. I hope you'll come back on the show another time. Thanks for having me. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcast. Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of the Panoply Network, which we're a part of. John Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. And hey, have you left us a rating and review on iTunes? It helps other people discover the show. I'm Jacob Weisberg. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. Rush Limbaugh said, my press conference last week was one of the most effective press conferences he had ever seen. And I believe him. I believe him. Because if you listen to the reporters who were actually there and ask me questions, they are horrible. They're lying. They're lying. Rush knows better. Those people who were actually there, they don't know anything. They don't know anything. And the guy with the yarmulke on his head, terrible. I asked for a nice question. He gave me a mean, hard question. I don't like him. He'll never come back to the White House. Believe me. Believe me. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.